China is buying your phone data while the Tennessee lieutenant governor is busy chasing other fancies. And apparently, none of the Republican leaders has any issue with it. Is it any wonder why we are in peril? My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Man. You know this song? Da, 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 yeah, you da, do. Da, 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 but I can't remember the words. Uh, do you know the artist? Oh, it's going to take me a minute. You may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. You may find yourself Some other days go by, years go by. Well, that's the title of the yeah. song, Once in a Lifetime. Once in a Lifetime. But the group is, well, what's this guy doing? <sighs> he's not singing, he's... Man, I don't know. He's talking. Yeah, but I, f- I forget the artist. Talking heads. <laughs> okay. You tried. David, David Byrne. You yeah. tried to lead me there. What's interesting about this, and I'll tell you why I'm starting with this. Actually, where's the part in the song where he says, same as it ever was, same as yeah, it ever same was. same as it ever was. That's kind of <laughs> what I thought. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever There we go. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. So, yeah, that's what I thought of. That, that song actually came to mind, Gary. You know, last week we talked about, because it was it was really new, new news, the collapse of SVB and a couple of other banks. Yeah. And we didn't have all of the information. We, we had tip of the iceberg information, which is one of the disadvantages of us recording days before. By the time our recording went live, I fear that some of what we said on Monday last week was, was already... Was moot. Yeah. Or at least dated. But... As I was reading more about this Silicon Valley Bank destruction, I'm like, it really is same as it ever was. Not only did they ignore, as we talked about last program, all of the so-called um, guardrails that they have put up, uh, Dodd-Frank, but once again, we have political favoritism because w- when you read the types of money, or the, sorry, the types of beliefs that was behind um, the people putting money into this bank, taking money out of this bank, that it's customers. It's all diversity, inclusion, the DEI yeah, stuff. And I wanted to read one in particular because there, did you see the, the phone call? There was a transcript of a phone call that came out with the bank, with Silicon Valley that came out. Let me, let me find this for you. It's stunning. Okay. So, J.P. Morgan official Steve Axopoulos was on a conference call because J.P. Morgan had invested in this bank, and he demanded answers because the bank was boasting in its board meeting, or at least this conference call, about its DEI, its diversity, equity, and inclusion measures. But Steve Axopoulos, to his credit, wasn't taking that. He, <laughs> he said, He wants to find out why they're losing so much money. So he said, quote, if we look at the 137 million of investment losses, which are detailed on page seven of the report, that declines a bit more than we've seen in other periods, right? It's over 8% and typically you're like 2% or 3%. Can you walk us through the three buckets so we can understand that a bit better? In response to Alex Poulos's concern, SVB's president and CEO Greg Becker simply said, I believe and I certainly hope we've gotten that down to the floor. No guarantees, 
but this is just a flavor for how we've approached the securities portfolio. Well, so you you mentioned, Gary, last week about how the types of investments and the manner in which they were making these investments, you know, without getting deep into that process, was the same that caused the banks to fail in 2008. Right. In addition to yeah, that... Yeah, bu- buying these bulk uh, mortgages and things like that, yeah. Right. Well, in addition to that, they're making investment in all of the things that don't work, right? Then, Whether it's yeah. electric vehicles, batteries, solar, anything. Remember in the Obama administration... The Obama administration gave away billions of taxpayer dollars for solar, Mm -hmm. right? It was all a scam. Well, the same thing has happened again. And instead of allowing the bank to collapse because it's invested in something that doesn't work, these people don't have to feel any consequences for it. And there was a great article. I say great, but there was a very poignant article out this week. I forget the name of this individual who, who said, we're no longer living in a free market economy. We keep bolstering by political favoritism, bolstering failures. And so now when people, you know, my challenge to the Republicans, Gary, is that for so long, people on our side of the political aisle, and I know Republicans have left us so much more, they tend to laugh at those things. And they say, ah, ha, ha, electric cars, or, you know, a car with three wheels will never run. Well, that used to be the case in a free market economy where the economy would dictate the successes and failures. But now we live under a regime who will support total failures with your money and my money. And so if there's no consequences for this, we're being kicked back into the dark ages. We're going to have a society that's and, and tied to that is this nonsense about banning gas stoves, <laughs> which keeps gaining momentum among the political classes, right? It started in cities in California. Now you've got the federal government. Which, which I can check, but I actually do think that bill passed. I, I, made, I made a joke about it. Did, did, you, did you hear about this? Well, I, I made a joke about it when it was first filed, like, you know. In Tennessee? Yeah. Tennessee has banned... No, no. Tennessee has protected us from the banning oh, of gas. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. So we got a little bit of good news. Yeah. Li- literally, oh, praise it, God. It, it it restricts the banning of an appliance based on the type of energy or fuel it uses. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> no. And I made I made a joke of it at the beginning because at the beginning of the the session because I'm like, okay, so they're not going to protect a whole lot, but dang it. We're going to protect our gas stoves. <laughs> like they're they're all in. They're going to do it, and and uh, it actually passed. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what kind of times are we living in when that's really good news, right? That should be yeah. like not even. Yeah. You know, regarding these banks, it's like maybe maybe Kevin they they deserve a bailout because you know they did fail in an equitable manner. <laughs> you know, it... not to you and me. <laughs> it's coming out of my pocket. And by the way, have you noticed that? The feds are always quick to say, oh, no, the FDIC, as it operates, it pulls the money from the other banks, right? Well, that's just like saying the corporations pay for it, right? But how does that work its way to us? It always works its way to the taxpayer because the banks then increase fees and charges and interest to the customer. We always pay for these things. And I want to just really harp on something you said for a minute and I don't want to take us too far off mm-hmm. topic but when you said we are no longer living in a in a free market mm-hmm. system we we absolutely are not 
And when you go back to, that's why some of these conversations that I, I'm still having, we're still having with legislators about restricting uh, employers from forcing uh, shots and honoring religious exemptions and all these things, because the conversation is always, well, Gary, you don't understand conservatism and you don't understand the free market. You know, we have to, we, we don't regulate private business. And the thing is, we left you know, free market capitalism a long time ago, not only in the sense of these uh, bank bailouts and all the bailouts we've seen over the recent decades, but think about COVID. I mean, think about yep. how many things we propped up with the, the PPP money. Mm -hmm. We called certain businesses non-essential and allowed yep. other businesses to exist while, while other people literally lost everything they had, sold their homes. You yep. know, that's not free market. And in addition in Tennessee, we love, Republicans love corporate welfare, mm -hmm. because, and we call it job growth. We call it yep. economic development, but what we do is we divert. Or, or they call it workforce development, yeah. which <laughs> which really enrages me because that is a communist phrase, workforce development, and yet our governor talks about it, champions it as if he's doing something good. And all we're doing is, is diverting our tax dollars to who the government thinks essentially should be the winners and losers mm -hmm. in a certain market and or we artificially inflate certain markets like the electric vehicle yep. industry here in Tennessee. And and I'll, I'll just I want to remark on that. You know, I, was, I won't name the legislator's name, but but he's somebody I like. And we were having a really good conversation, and I challenged him because he voted for the Ford, uh, the billion dollars we gave to Ford in 2021. And I challenge him on that, and he, and I'm thinking about this statement because I'm thinking about these banks failing. He said, well, Gary, you know, I mean, it, it's a good investment, you know, because think about it. I mean, Ford knows – because I was challenging him on the, on the success of the uh, electric vehicle industry. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you realize er, everyone around the world believes or, – or the common sense people around the world believe this this thing's going to fail, the electric the electricity grid – cannot even create enough uh, power to, you know. If, if Which it can't. <laughs> right. He he said this. He said, well, Gary, but we're talking about Ford. He said, look how big Ford is. Don't you think these people are smart enough to know whether or not they need to make a $6 billion investment in Tennessee? Mm. He said, we need, just, we, we need to try. It's, it's the too big to fail thinking. Yep. And uh, I want to put forward, this is how some of your legislators are thinking. They're not hearing you talk about the electrical grid and all the failures with batteries mm -hmm. and everything that's happening that's really happening to the environment by by mining lithium and all these yep. things. The only thing he was concerned about is, well, it's Ford. Surely Ford knows yes. what they're doing. We should just trust them. And that is how we got ourselves into this pickle, not only with Ford, but with citizens allowing their government to do the same thing. When the government proposes something preposterous or doesn't protect us from foreign enemies, people are at first alarmed, but then they stop and they think, well, something else must be going on because clearly they wouldn't leave me this exposed, right? They wouldn't really destroy my liberties. They wouldn't really surrender our sovereignty. And that is where they take so much ground by people's Good faith in something that doesn't deserve good faith. Yeah, we and and so just just to wrap that up. I mean, it's just important we all understand we we get the times that we're living in. We do not have a free market in the United mm -hmm. States of America. We have a government subsidized market. That's what we have, and it's that's it's it's sad.
You know, you talk about Ford, Gary. I read this week. I don't have this story on my laptop, but it came out this week that the mayor of Los Angeles has now been engaged with communist China. So Democratic Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass and California State Treasurer Fiona Ma met with the head of the Chinese government-funded group just after, this is what's amazing, even after the Biden administration sounded the alarm on the country expanding its influence operations. So even while the federal government is finally maybe reluctantly and slowly saying, yeah, the Chinese are trying to influence, not just beat us militarily, but all of the cultural influence that we've talked about. And yet you have a mayor in the city of the biggest state in the nation having this, these conversations, allowing this influence to go on. Remember California, not only do we have Swalwell and his dalliances, right, with the CCP, (laughs) uh, we have, uh, Diane Feinstein, mm-hmm. whose driver of like 20, 20 years, years, yeah, was a CCP informant. So here again, we have a state almost doing the opposite of what we've talked about. Remember, if we go back a couple of months when we first started the China closet, when it was a China cabinet, we were talking about how states had the opportunity as well as the responsibility to prevent Chinese Communist Party influence. And they could do it at a local level. We talked about the success of that county commission in North Dakota preventing the uh, farm from being purchased. Right. Well, in L.A., so we're we're showing again how much power local government has, even though the federal government has now said, yes, you, sh- yes, it is true that China is a threat. You shouldn't engage with them at this level. We have the, the mayor and the controller of the state meeting with Chinese influence. And somehow it came out in that article there was a reference to Ford Foundation giving $9.3 million to these Chinese groups, um, these Chinese influence groups. So not only is Ford engaged in the electric vehicle scam here in the state of Tennessee, but we know the Ford Foundation has always been China-friendly, and that was just a piece that wasn't directly re- related to that story showing how Ford is giving money to these Chinese influence groups. It's amazing what we're doing. And, you know, in addition to that, of course, right before we had the special session to give that billion dollars to Ford, I had written an article I did in my research. I found the Ford Foundation essentially is the global leader in proliferating uh, diversity, equity, inclusion mm-hmm. training throughout the corporate world. So it's – uh yeah, but but you know, welcome to Tennessee, and here's a billion dollars. Uh, it's sickening. It is. By the way, Gary, I'm sure our audience, we know our audience knows this, but we should probably talk about what's going on in Tennessee in light of our lieutenant governor's very public expression of what I would say, how would I describe this? Rainbows and sunshine. (laughs) Rainbows and sunshine and his... Heart, 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 fire emoji, fire emoji. (laughs) That's right. All we're doing is quoting from his tweets, right? (laughs) We're, We're giving a visual image of what he put on his tweets. Is it not true that um, Randy McNally, the lieutenant governor, is, is it correct to say that he has, what do you say, he would give a pause on his Twitter activity, but he didn't say he would in, stop it? Instagram. Well, well he's, I'm sorry, Instagram. this is Instagram, but he said social media in general. He He's acknowledged that perhaps he, uh, he should pause and reevaluate his use of social media. Yeah. But he hasn't. He hasn't repudiated what he's done, has no, he? No, he has completely and utterly owned 
everything that has been been put out publicly. And when asked to resign, his only comment has been, well, I, you know, I work at the pleasure of the Senate. So in other words, and not one senator, not one, not one state. So there's 33. So if you take out Randy McNally, not one of those 32 remaining state senators has called for his resignation or to my knowledge has in any way repudiated his actions on social media. And I would go so I would go further. Not only have they not asked him to resign or repudiated it, but I have a quote from Jack Johnson and I'm quoting from an article in the American Conservative and it says that Jack said, quote, uh, he said McNally should quote have time to evaluate and then proceed. And then Jack Johnson went so far as to say this. I have tremendous respect for the man. Again, Senate Majority Leader Jack Johnson, Tennessee, says about Randy McNally, the man who heart emoji and fire emojied. Um, you, you fill my days with rainbows and sunshine. Right. Men who are clearly involved in inappropriate activity and LGBT, gay, homosexuality. And Jack Johnson says about McNally, by the way, some of the things that McNally has been involved with have been described in the media, right? So I'm repeating what the media has said, have been described as pornographic. Yeah, absolutely. So if Randy McNally is observing and approving or, or, or associating with things that are clearly pornographic we're, in we're nature. Talk, we're talking about, for all intensive purposes, almost a, a completely naked 20-year-old young male who's gay. Yeah, and they had to blur out. Had to blur so out that you part didn't of the picture. See that, yeah. And you have a 79-year-old lieutenant governor of the state of Tennessee telling him how good he looks. Heart, 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 fire emoji, and you fill my days. Great, great going, Finn. You fill my days with rainbows and sunshine. And he gets busted on all of this, and he owns it all. Yeah, and, he doesn't. And, he doesn't say it's not him. No. He didn't say it was some fake account. And the explanation is, well, I, I, I'm just trying to be encouraging. You know, I, I encourage all of my constituents here in the state of Tennessee. So, with that in mind, Senate Majority Leader Jack Johnson says that he has tremendous respect for the man, meaning yeah. Randy McNally. Jack Johnson has tremendous respect for a man who is participating in ungodly behavior. So my question to Jack Johnson is, Jack, how do you reconcile that? How with, do you, with, with all of the scriptures he posts every Sunday on his Facebook page. Yeah, how, how, how do you reconcile that before your church, that you are publicly supporting, saying that you have tremendous respect for a man who does these things. Those things, Jack, don't compute. I would love to have you reach out and tell us why you would say you have tremendous respect for this man who is clearly, uh, he's created such consternation among not only Jack's constituents, but among the whole state of Tennessee. Why would we even have this man as lieutenant governor? Who could trust him? Yep. Well, let me read you the official statement so far from Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton, his counterpart in the House. This is Cameron Sexton, and I quote, referring to Randy McNally, I've known him for 35 years. 
He is a very kind and considerate man who does offer encouragement to a lot of people. Now, this is the shocking part. He says, people may disagree with his comments, but they are not inappropriate. And he was doing it in a way to be kind to all people. So I want to be very, very abundantly clear. The statements that the entire nation now has seen that this man has made, the Speaker of the House of Tennessee, who, by the way, wants to run for governor in 2026, Mm -hmm. has publicly declared that these comments are not inappropriate. And he was simply doing it in a way to be kind. That is the official statement from the Speaker of the House of Tennessee. So it sounds to me like the two most powerful, one from the House, one from the Senate, political leaders of our state have not only not repudiated what Randy McNally has been engaged in, but one says he has respect for the man and the other one fully supports it, fully supports it, fully supports the behavior as appropriate. And Gary doesn't. So one of my concerns, and you know more about this legally than I do. I know this might sound funny, but remember, I'm an entertainment lawyer, not a real lawyer. And I'm not a lawyer at all. <laughs> I know, but you, you know the Tennessee Constitution better than I do. Wasn't there an amendment passed that affects the how a governor would be replaced and and machinations that would happen that are different? I, I guess what I'm leading to is I get concerned that if our governor should step down for some reason— that either a an individual like Cameron Sexton or Jack Johnson, who apparently don't have any problem with Randy McNally's behavior. They're all fine with it. Yeah. Then they could become governor. They're, they're close to that position of power. Yeah. And the state of Tennessee, should the governor resign or are now per our new constitutional amendment that passed in 2022, temporarily stepped down. That was not an option, by the way. And I, I begged people, I, I pleaded with Tennessee, don't pass this. This is crazy. But now in our Tennessee constitution, the governor has the additional option of temporarily stepping down. Should that happen, first in line to the to ascend into the interim position of governor is the speaker of the Senate, our lieutenant governor, which would currently be Randy McNally. Should Randy McNally step down and there be no lieutenant governor, um, it would default to Cameron Sexton, the Speaker of the House. That's that's the current situation. So you you have two men who, who find all of this completely appropriate that are next in line to be governor of the state of Tennessee. And, and by the way, since we're mentioning the governor, mm-hmm. radio silence. I, I right. Correct me. Anyone correct me out there in the in the in the in the sound of my voice if I'm wrong, but I've not seen or heard anything from the governor's office in terms of his number two guy in the state of Tennessee and what has transpired. Mr. Christian conservative Bill Lee, radio silence, no comments whatsoever. Right. Not calling out sin sin in his midst. So the question is, Surely the governor knows about it, right? So we can't say he didn't know about it. Everybody knows about this story now all across the nation. Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Yes. Which means, okay, he knows about it. Does his silence mean that he's afraid to touch the issue? He's afraid of criticizing? Um, I think the governor's going to end up getting burned by not coming out and being very clear morally that this is repugnant behavior. Um, 
go back with something. I, Gary, I don't understand. How does a governor, what does it mean that a governor temporarily steps down? What, is, what does that I, even mean? I I don't know, Kevin. That's a really good question. That's why I was completely against the amendment. This, you know, this amendment is interesting. It 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 hasn't been in the works for a long time. It was it was for the first time submitted to the General Assembly by uh, Senator Becky Massey out of Knoxville in February of 2020. So this is this is well in uh, this is well a, a year well into Bill Lee's first mm-hmm, term. Mm-hmm. So a year into the governor's first term, there is a constitutional amendment proposed in the General Assembly. That would, for the first time in Tennessee history, allow a governor to temporarily step down. That proceeds through the assembly. It ends up on the general ballot in 2022, and it gets a million votes, and it passes. It gets the constitutional majority, and um, which is quite incredible to me. But literally, the way – well, let me not say amendment. The way our constitution now reads, the governor can simply write a letter – to the Secretary of State mm-hmm. and notify the Secretary of State that he can no longer, for any reason, discharge his duties and he's stepping down. And he can do that for an undetermined amount of time. So he could do that for the next three weeks. He could do that for the next two years. And <clears throat> as written, would the governor be the one that decides unilaterally that he's ready to That's resume cr- the position? He he would he would resume the position by writing another letter to the Secretary of State informing the Secretary of State that he is now ready to resume his duties as governor. And no conditions and no conditions, no time limit. It's pretty much like a king, right? I'm king, I'm taking a break, I'm king again. Our, that is what our constitution currently says. So Obviously, when constitutional amendments come about, you want to talk about uninformed voters, Kevin, that got a million votes, brother. Yeah. Why? Read, people. Read the ballot. But I'm interested more about what happened before that. (laughs) Yeah. How did you say Becky Massey? Yeah, Becky Massey out of Knoxville. Do we have any legislative history, any idea of what was being talked about? Surely she didn't wake up one morning and say, I think we ought to have a constitutional amendment that allows the governor of the state of Tennessee, if necessary, to, te- to step down temporarily. What, what does that mean? Where does this come from? Yeah, well, without getting too far into the conspiratorial nature of, of, mm-hmm. of where this discussion could go, let me yeah, just— and, I'm, and yeah. for the record, I'm not asking you to, to guess. I'm not asking you to— Yeah, I'm not guessing. I'm just saying this amendment came right in the middle, okay— Right in the middle of a plethora of FBI raids throughout the legislature, this came after the FBI raided Speaker Glenn Cassidy's home, Hmm. uh, Todd Warner, Kent Calfee, Representative Robin Smith. This amendment came after the Speaker of the House, Glenn Cassidy, was forced to resign from his position, and Everyone who's anyone involved in the political sphere knows conclusively that these FBI raids have to do with the governor and the education savings account bill that was run in 2019 and the quid pro quos that were offered to get that bill passed. And in the midst of FBI raids, in the midst of accusations surrounding the governor of this state, In February of 2020, after all that had already gone Mm -hmm. down and FBI investigations still pending, 
they put forward an amendment that would, for the first time since 1796, allow the governor of this state to take a break. Mm. Uh, so I'll leave it so there. Leave our All of those yeah. are 100% verifiable facts. Wherever you want to allow your mind to go from there, it's up to you. Mm. Very, very interesting. Mm. So, and Kevin, yeah, no one else is going to talk about this, Kevin. And that's what I find stunning too, right? We, the, uh, <laughs> I don't know where I want to go with that, but I, let, let me let me do a Mike Boozer wears glasses. That'll help me get into a different <laughs> lane. I did want to throw something into the China closet today, which takes us back to our governor in 2020, not relating to the education savings account. But do you remember, Gary, when, and we've talked about it on this program. The, the conference in Kentucky? No, not that one. Remember remember when our governor was uh, issuing decree after decree every week? He had locked us down. He had taken control. The 20, legis- 20 months yeah, the here legis- in Tennessee. So the legislature had abandoned its responsibility. And one of those letters, remember w- when we were all locked down early in 2020, March and April, one letter in particular, the governor mentioned to us that he had been spying on us, essentially, right? We were not, mm-hmm. we were not, we needed to extend the lockdowns because the stay at home orders, because he had used technology. Actually, let me, let me clarify that. Okay. There was an executive order that had come out that had strongly suggested that people stay home. Okay. Okay. He then. <clears throat> Uh, I, I, I want to say it's three days. Within three days of issuing the order to strongly suggest, he issued an amendment to that order. So a, a, another executive order that amended that particular piece of the prior order to change strongly urge to require. Mm. And so he issued a lockdown order. His reasoning for changing the the suggestion to a now a state requirement subject to a class A misdemeanor if you were fined for mm-hmm. leaving your home, by the way, which is a $2,500 fine and up to a year in jail, okay? His reason for issuing an official lockdown order was because they had been using a third-party software and tracking people's GPS movements from their phones and had determined that people had not heeded the warning mm-hmm. and they were moving around too much. So he was now going to use the force of law to require you to stay home, to literally, by state, exec, by his executive, let me rephrase that, not by state law, by executive <laughs> yeah. decree, decree, lock you down. All right, so that was a fantastic preamble to this story from the China Closet, Okay. Epic Times, I think this one just came out, yep, March 16th, and the author is Zachary Stieber. Listen to the title. CDC bought phone data to monitor Americans' compliance with lockdowns. Wow. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention purchased data from tracking companies to monitor compliance with lockdowns according to contracts with the firms. Skipping down the article... The contracts approved under emergency review 
due to the COVID-19 pandemic were aimed at providing the CDC with the necessary data to continue critical emergency response functions related to evaluating the impact of visits to key points of interest. You know, Gary, you can't go to a monument because of COVID. Stay-at-home orders, closures, reopenings, and other public health communications related to mask mandates and merging research areas on community transmission of COVID. So what we have here is not only is it bad that our governor locked us down, un- it unlawfully, right? By the law of God, it's unlawful <laughs> to do what he did. But under what he perceived to be his power as an executive, by using cell phone data, which basically was he was spying, saying, I see that you're not doing what I've commanded you to do, right? right? And now we know that that data has been sold to the Chinese Communist Party. Wow. That's that's encouraging. <laughs> so if you want to know the connection between the Chinese Communist Party and the t- state of Tennessee, it's broad-reaching. It's the, you've same, got the, f- the same data, by the way, that informed the governor of Tennessee that he needed to lock you down is also the data, apparently, that's now been sold to the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. And so it's not just... And by the way, this is the same state of Tennessee that you said put a fiscal note last week, right, on the bill that would have stopped communist China ownership of property in correct. Tennessee. But but it was too expensive yep. because $80,000 $80, one time and $2,000 a year, uh-huh. but we can build a stadium, yep. right? We can give a billion dollars to Ford, who gives $9.3 million to the Chinese Communist Party. This, ladies and gentlemen, is... You must understand what's happening and not be oblivious. You can't. You we, we, all the time. I'm trying to encourage people not to give. We should never give anybody the benefit of the doubt who has power over you, because they're not acting in our interests. So you know, it's not necessarily China related, but in terms of our interest in foreign issues, mm-hmm. let's talk about illegal immigration for a minute. Because this this just happened. We were alerted to a bill. Well, everyone was alerted to a bill. Why? A uh, caption bill, Kevin. Of course. Yet another caption bill. The magic bill. caption bills. <laughs> that was uh, one sentence that turned into, I don't know, 13 pages or something like that. Overnight, <laughs> a- HB 1214. Uh, by the way, this bill is sponsored by Cameron Sexton and Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. Oh. <laughs> HB 12 Can't be good news. HB 1214 sets up and I know you're a homeschool guy so you're going to you're going to yep. love this. But it 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 does so many things. It sets up a new thing called a hybrid public charter school. Oh, I saw that. And allows homeschool parents to you know how how typically homeschool parents will enroll their child into like a, a twice a week tutorial. Uh, tutorial. Yep. Well, this is basically a state-run charter school tutorial. And your mm-hmm. uh, the, the trick is your child has to attend for at least three days a week. But if you're a homeschool parent and you elect to send your homeschooler to this public charter school hybrid um, mm-hmm. school, the state now will apply state board of education regulations to the remainder of cur- of the curriculum that you are teaching your child in the home. Hello? Yeah. Yep. Letting that silence sit on purpose. Absolutely. Everything they can do to work to regulate what is happening 
inside the home. So that's that's danger point number one mm-hmm. that has raised red flags all across the country from national organizations to oppose this bill. But here's number two, Kevin. Here's what the bill also does. It creates hybrid public charter school boarding facilities mm. to allow the state to build facilities let me rephrase that residential facilities to house children who are economically disadvantaged mm. if you go into the TCA code that it references for the definition of economically disadvantaged guess what that definition includes migrant children ah So we are now setting up hybrid public charter schools with residential boarding facilities. Paid for by the taxpayer. Paid for by the taxpayer to house and educate. House, feed, and educate migrant children. And what will they be teaching? And what will they be teaching these illegal immigrant children? Uh, I don't know, Kevin. What? You're better than certainly not certainly not the greatness of America as founded, (laughs) right? Right. Uh, maybe a little bit of sixteen nineteen project. Oh my gosh, Kevin! It's right in the state of Tennessee, ladies and gentlemen. Again, sponsored by the Speaker of the House and the Speaker of the Senate, and which means the Governor's office is also behind this. It is it's it is always not only baffling but quite incredible to see what is moving through the legislature here in Tennessee. Do we have a a um, an audio of a guy screaming really loud? I, I would love to have that on these moments because I I always feel like screaming. <laughs> Can we pull up anything that's like some guy just like screaming at the top of his lungs? <laughs> because that's how I feel sometimes. I, sometimes you're just without words, right? Yeah. There's only so much that words can do, and you have this feeling of I've got to scream. And um, how do you, you know, where where that leaves me as someone who's an executive director of an advocacy organization like Tennessee Stands, I, I sometimes think to myself. How do you advocate for policy and how do you encourage people to reach out and email and call and advocate for policy whenever you're advocating to people like that, that think that these kinds of policies in the first place Mm -hmm. are in any way, shape or form reasonable or constitutional or have anything to do with securing the rights and liberties of those who live and reside and pay taxes within the state of Tennessee? It's mind-boggling to me. Sometimes, Kevin, I've got to be honest. I don't, I don't really know what to do with that, and I don't know what to tell people. Yeah, because we have abandoned any sense of representative government. This ties back to remember last week you told us about two bills, one about central bank digital currency, one about a UCC change, right? And which which Christy Nome had had vetoed right. in South Dakota. So. And we, we tackled briefly the issue of our legislature is not advancing bills that the people have requested or that even they have drafted themselves but have been modeled from Washington, D.C. or some think tank. But the other problem is that not only are they taking their initiative and their marching orders from someone other than Tennessee residents and Tennessee citizens, but they work so hard to obscure that activity. It's, 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 it's an upside-down world. They're doing exactly the opposite of what a representative government is intended to do, and yet people think, well, 
okay, we just have the wrong people in office. It's not just a matter of having the wrong people in office. The people that are in these positions have abandoned and surrendered what the minimum requirement that we have for them is that you protect and secure our liberties first. It, it is. I, I wonder some days, what do we do with that that knowledge? Except in the end, if we're going the way of a totalitarian regime, if we're going the way of an authoritarian regime, what these politicians, I hope they understand, because if they don't, it's going to happen anyway. In the United States of America, historically, we have resolved our political conflicts through the electoral process, right? And if we abandon that electoral process, which also goes to election security and integrity, which you had a great event on the other week, it also gets to this point. It's going to come out in other forms and in authoritarian regimes. And I'm not advocating for this. I'm just telling you this is what happens when a country does not allow its political differences to be resolved through an electoral process then it works itself out in other forms and always leads, unfortunately, to political violence. That's that's the end. Yep. And and one more Tennessee-specific thing I'd like to mention before we close. Uh, by the time this episode airs, God help us, this bill will have already failed our pass through the Senate Judiciary Committee. So my, my ask at this point is, if this bill has passed the Senate Judiciary, everyone needs to call their state senator and ask them to vote no on the floor. And that's Senate Joint Resolution 34, SJR 34. And this is the the constitutional amendment that I've been talking about since last year. It is finally scheduled to be heard in the Senate. And this is the constitutional amendment that would now allow oh. our treasurer and our comptroller to mm-hmm. allow funds to be invested in stocks and equities and would would now allow the state of Tennessee with your tax money to become owners, owners, equity holders, stockholders in private companies and private banks in absolute insanity. And if that resolution passes this 113th General Assembly, if we don't kill this in the Senate, it will be on the 2026 ballot. And just like I talked before about mm-hmm. the low information bo- uh, voter, a the, million people, the GOP is going to run around the state talking about how great this amendment is, how high of a return it's going to generate for our tax dollars. And no one's going to think or recognize, gosh, should my government own corporations No, they should not own corporations. And you know, in light of what just happened in California with SVB, what is the likelihood, Gary, that our government in the state of Tennessee would be investing their money in banks that are all woke and DEI, which means that our money is going to go right down the drain? They would never do that, Kevin. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they're Tennesseans, right? Yeah, because nothing bad happens here. No sin in Tennessee. They don't do bad things in Tennessee, Kevin. (laughs) I say, Gary, it's the same as it ever was. Man, ain't that the truth? That's a sad story right there. That's a sad commentary. But you know what? We do need to end with one positive note as we continue this music. Sin is the same as it ever was, and we have a Savior. And we must remind our audience that if you repent and you give your life to the Christ who has made himself available for that purpose, right? Then all of those things... All of the, you'll never be punished for any of those things, right? Repent and be saved. And that's my offer to our audience. Repent and be saved.
If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Thank you.